Good morning. morning. Genesis chapter 12. Remember, we are continuing in our series on Old Testament characters. This is the second week we're going to look at Abraham. Last time we left him, he was headed south. Genesis 12, and uh, beginning in verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me but they will let you live please say you are my sister that it may be well with me for your sake and that i may live because of you so it was when abram came into egypt that the egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful the princes of pharaoh also saw her and commended her to pharaoh and the woman was taken to pharaoh's house He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. We're not done. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now we're done. Okay, Uh, we're studying the Old Testament uh, people because God put these stories here for our benefit. We want to learn from their lives, from their victories, uh, from their triumphs, and from their mistakes. And I think you saw we have a mistake this morning. Last week we had three lessons, and I told you about those five questions to uh, ask yourself if you want some help when you study the Bible. And here uh, we're going to have two of those questions answered, actually two and a half. One of them clearly is an error to avoid. Is there an error to avoid? Is there an error to avoid here? (laughs) Yeah. And the other is, is there something about God in the passage or a promise to claim? And both of those are true as well. And we'll look at that second. We'll begin with the error to avoid. But as you read the Bible and you read things like this, for example, this passage about Abraham, I don't know if you noticed, this is just another confirmation that this is the word of God. You know, there are so many internal evidences in this book that show it to be the word of God. And this is just one of them. Any other book, this this, uh, experience will be left out. This does not uh, put Abraham in a good light, does it? And when men... uh, write about their heroes they don't tell you about all the bad stuff well god wrote the book and he wants us to learn from the mistakes of others so there's a famine in the land 
says Abram went to Egypt to get away from it. It's very important to notice <clears throat> that uh, there's no leading from the Lord to go to Egypt. God didn't say, Abram, I want you to go down to Egypt now. In fact, uh, the last word from God was, remember first he said back in Ur, take up everything, leave your family, leave your country, leave your father, and go to a land that I will show you. That was the number one word. And when he finally got there after the delay in Haran, remember, then God said, this is the place, right? And that's the last word he's had. And, uh, but now that there's a famine, Abram has got it in his head that it's time to keep moving. And so he's gone up from Ur, up through Haran, down to Canaan, and he's going to keep right on going down to Egypt. <clears throat> Let me say, Abram had no good reason for leaving. You say, well, there was a famine. I think uh, if you've been a believer very long, you know that when the hard times hit, that is not a reason for taking things into our own hands, is it? Although we sometimes uh, use it that way. Actually, the famine here is in the classroom of God. It's an opportunity for God to demonstrate his power on the behalf of, of Abram. It would have been exciting, by the way, to find out what God was going to do in this famine. But we'll never know because Abram didn't stay there. And that, that's the way it is in our lives sometimes, isn't it? You know, a trial comes. And uh, instead of staying in the trial and trusting God, we say, whoa, you know, I don't, I don't want to be here. And we get out from under it. And we'll never know what God was going to do. So Abraham short-circuited God's next lesson by exiting. There's a lot of good scripture on this subject for believers. For example, in James, this is what it says about trials for us as believers. My brethren, count it all joy. No, it's not a typo. That's not a mistake. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. By the way, that's the way we make it complete and perfect and allow it to do its work is by staying in the trial. Right? That, that's what he's saying here. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. So that's God's word on the subject of trials for us as believers. You see, let's go back. God is in the business of conforming us to the image of his son. Isn't that great? He's trying to make us like Jesus. That's incredible. It makes sense though, right? If you want anybody uh, around on the earth as people, wouldn't it be great if they were all Jesus? Okay? And so God uses his, him as a pattern and he's in the business of changing us to that, that pattern. So once we're saved and we have our names written in the book of life and we're headed for heaven, the work has just begun. And when we get saved, I don't know about you, but I wasn't very much like Jesus. Okay? So he's, he's got his work cut out for him. The wonderful thing is he doesn't try to do everything at once. Isn't that good? Well, I, I think I'd die if he tried that, you know? It's just a little at a time, little here, little there, you know. Um, <clears throat> let's be honest. Nobody likes to change. Do you like to change? No. You know, I, it's just the way I am. You know, that's what we say. And we like to stay that way. Well, 
God has a higher calling in mind, and that's to make us like his son. It's not a fun process, but it's a necessary one. It's a good one. And two things uh, that I think we all stand in need of learning are the two things that were mentioned there in James, and Abraham needed to learn too. Number one, faith. We need to grow in our faith. Remember, faith is not a magical word. It's going to, woo, faith. You know, you step off the cliff and hope God catches you. No, faith in the Bible is simply taking God at his word. That's what faith is, believing God. Trusting him when our senses tell us otherwise. Okay, and that's usually every time. That's what it is. It's really very simple. Uh, the evidence outside tells me one thing. You know, my eyes, my ears, my nose, my friends say no this is the way it is and god says no this is the way it is and by faith when we say no to everything including our senses and we say i know it looks one way but god says it's another way and i'm going to i'm going to trust him i'm going to believe him that honors god you see and we need to grow in that area everyone here anybody here if they have you arrived yet are you perfected in faith i'd like to meet you and now wouldn't it be so nice if you could just like take a class you know like in college you know faith class you got a little syllabus you take good notes you know there's an oral or written exam at the end and you're done wouldn't that be nice that's not the way you learn faith and the other one patience the only way we learn it is through trials i'd like to give you better news but that's the way okay but let me tell you it's worth it all right but there's no other way to learn it and so God, because he loves us and he wants us not to remain our old selves, and that's a good thing, you know, to, but to be more like his son, he brings trials into our lives. And at, at those times, it's up to us to recognize that and say, Father, I know you're doing something here. I know I need to learn faith and patience more in my life. So I'm going to stay here and trust you through it. And we grow. And in fact, by the way, uh, I want to be careful. We're not going to badmouth Abram. It's wonderful God puts this in the Bible here, but he's a great man of God. Okay, we're not here to criticize Abraham. We're simply to learn from what God tells us about Abraham. And in this case, he didn't stay under the trial. He got out from under it. Well, that's when the problems start, you see. And that's when it started for Abram. Uh, one of the first things that happens, I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, when we get out of fellowship with God the way Abraham did here, and it's often due to a trial or a pressure coming into our life, fear sets in. You ever notice that? Yeah. You know why? Now, this is only for believers. I'm talking to people who know the Lord this morning here, okay? If you're not a Christian, we'll talk about something else in a minute. But if you're a believer and you get out from the will of God, I don't know about you, but that's when the fear starts. You know why? It, for good reason. Because I'm in control now and he isn't. And that's scary. And sure enough, we tend to make bad choices. So we have good reason to fear. So I'm going to talk about, there are five major consequences of doing what Abraham did here. We see it in his life. It happens in our life. And the whole purpose is to learn from this. So the first one is, um, first of all, we lack direction when we get out of the will of God right we're out of fellowship with him our touch with the one who's ruling the universe and knows the end from the beginning is temporarily interfered with and so now it's up to us who can see about that far to try to decide what to do and invariably we tend to follow our sense you know 
What does it say? There is a man that seems there is a way that seems good to a man, but what? The end thereof is the ways of death. That's right. And that's the way I am. I don't know about you. When it seems right, and that's usually the way it is, that's the way to go. Yeah. Why? Usually because it makes me feel good or some kind of physical reward, you know. It's more comfortable. The end thereof is the ways of death. So the first consequence, as soon as we get out from under uh, the trial, we're also breaking that uh, direction that we have from God. Second, as I said, fear sets in. You see it in Abraham here, by the way. Isn't it interesting? Here he's gone all this way. He's been in Canaan with his wife this whole time. All of a sudden now, he's afraid he's going to die. Is that interesting? You know, he's going to get killed. <laughs> What's interesting to me is, let me commend Abraham for a minute. He grows in his faith. And you see it through the book of Genesis because later God tells him to offer up his son and he, and he literally does it. Why? Because he hangs on to the word of God at that point, you see. He knows God promised that it was through Isaac that he was going to have the, uh, his descendants. And so, therefore, it says in the New Testament, he believed God was going to raise him from the dead if he had to. Well, here, Abram actually had something to go on. If you, if you were to look back here in chapter 12, look at verse 2. God had already told Abram, I will make you a great nation. Period. Okay, we can stop right there. So can Abraham get killed in Egypt? Huh? No. God would be a liar. And so he could have hung on to that right there. You know, that also means, by the way, he wasn't going to die in the famine. <laughs> but, uh, and I'm not criticizing the guy. We're like this. You know, we get, and, and, and rightly so, we get afraid when we, when we get away from the Lord. Another similarity with me. I don't know about you. Too often, we find it a lot easier to trust God for uh, our eternal spiritual welfare. But when it comes to the day-to-day, you know, eh, that's a little more near to my heart, you know. And so we get our grubby paws on that. You know, I can do a lot better job. Than, isn't that silly when you think about it? You know, yeah, I can t- trust God for eternity. But uh, day-to-day, I don't know. You know, that's a different story. Isn't that silly? Well, that was Abraham, and that's me. Which should be more difficult? Our eternal salvation? Wow. Or day-to-day things like, you know, food, clothing, and shelter, and so on. Well, so we've talked about two consequences, lack of direction, fear. Uh, The third one, I think we all know it, when you get out, get away from God, we're prone to sin. Right? Isn't that true? And so it is with Abraham. Now, we find out later, of course, that what he says here about uh, Sarai being his wife, his sister, is, is a half-truth. Is a half-truth the truth? Is it half of the truth? No, it's a lie, isn't it? Come on. A half-truth. Come on. It's a lie. And he knows it. So does she. You could add in, is, there, there are a pair of sins, lying and deception. They go hand in hand. Okay, so there's two sins here, really. Lying, and it's meant to deceive everybody in Egypt. It's interesting to me here. Look at verse 13. Abraham, by the way, please, pleading with his wife, please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Isn't that others directed? 
Who's, who's Abraham thinking of, first of all? <laughs> number one. Yeah. Another consequence. That's consequence number four. Partly because of the fear. We get out from under the will of God and we're on our own. It's funny. When we're with the Lord, we're others direct. We're thinking of others. They're first, you know. It all fits. We get out of the will of God. All of a sudden, I'm number one. And we start thinking about ourselves. And Abraham's no different. By the way, uh, in Abraham's scheme, things are worked out pretty well for him. But what about Sarah? What's the plan for her? Think about it. What kind of safety net has she got? That's right. She's in danger. In fact, he hasn't even thought it through. You know, she may well get uh, taken away, which she does, by the way. Abraham doesn't say anything about that. So if I live, that's all that matters. You know, I don't know what's going to happen to you, but as long as we both lie, I'm going to be okay. Isn't that good? So that's consequence number five. We use others. We tend to use others. Not only are we not others direct, we use them. In fact, really abuse them. And I hate to say it, that's what Abraham is doing with his wife here. You know, he really he doesn't care about the consequences for her, just as long as he stays safe and doesn't get killed. Praise God. God is faithful, huh? You know, isn't it good that God is taking care of Abraham in spite of himself? And isn't it good that he does that with us in spite of ourselves? Well, there are uh, consequences involving people in this. And I just thought it out and I made a list. I came up with 11 consequences here for people who are involved in this. Just listen to this list. The first one, of course, is God himself. What Abraham is doing here, God is the number one we should think about. What did David say when he confesses sin with Bathsheba? Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Well, there were a lot of other people involved. But really, he sees the, the worst thing about sin is it's against God. Uh, to begin with, Abram uh, has already doubted God. In fact, what he's saying, I, I don't trust you, God. That's what he's saying. That's what we say when we get out from under a trial. When the going gets tough, what we're saying is, uh, Lord, I think you made a mistake here. You know, and we might as well say it. I don't trust you. Second consequence involving the Lord is that really when believers act like this and run for cover in a trial, they're they're uh, discrediting God in the eyes of others. Isn't that right? You know, um, up until this point, the way God has led forgetting Haran for a moment, you know, Abraham could really talk to others about how faithful God was and how he would led him and so on. Um, not going to be saying much now about his god you know well there was a famine up there and i don't think my god can handle it that's why i'm down here you know okay well uh the third person affected obviously we'll take them in order is abraham number one broken fellowship secondly the fear we talked about that third the loss of direction in his life fourth it led to more sin we've talked about these but the fifth one we haven't talked about, and it's, and it's going to happen, he gets rebuked by unbelievers. Wow. Here's a man of God. He knows the true and living God in the midst of a bunch of idolaters. And they're the ones that end up telling him the score. Isn't that good? You know, in fact, they give him a personal escort to the border to get rid of him. 
Sarah, because of his cajoling and persuading here, she joined in the sin by lying. Now, it was from love and, and being submissive here, but it's really a shame. Because of his influence, she sinned with him. You know? I've noticed that in, uh, in, in married couples. Sometimes it's easier, you know, for the, for the one person. If one person starts uh, departing from God, it's easier for the other to join them. Did you know that? It's kind of like drinking partners, you know? One man or the husband or the wife starts to drift from God too often. Instead of the, the strong believer pulling the other back, they go right down with him. And uh, sometimes it's just because of love. You know, they'd rather be with the person out of fellowship with God than in fellowship with God and apart from the other person. That's really a shame, but it happens that way often. And it did here too. Bless Sarah's dear heart. And we said uh, the other consequence for her, of course, somebody mentioned already, she's exposed to danger. Just for a moment, think about Sarah. I, I don't know where she was at the time, you know, maybe in the door of the tent or something, but here come these guys from Pharaoh's court. Come on, you're coming with us. You've got a new home now. You know, you get to live in a palace. Isn't that good? Can you imagine? Taking her away, you know, for who knows what? By the way, uh, talk about more sin. I think it's pretty clear. Did Abraham speak up and say, wait a minute, let me tell you the truth here. Did he? No, no, she, I, I lied. She's not my sister. She's my wife. Please leave her with me. Nope. He obviously knew about this. They came and took her and he didn't say boo. It's funny when we get away from God, you know, the sin gets easier. Well, there's more involved in the sin of Abraham here. It goes on. Pharaoh. Pharaoh, he's a godless man. He's an idolater. We know that. But here he, he commits a sin and doesn't even know it. You know? Kidnaps a, another man's wife. And he complains about it later. And I don't blame him. You know? Not to mention the fact, not only did he sin, <laughs> the, the guy experienced the judgment of God with plagues. Thanks, Abraham. Now, don't get on Abraham. You think about yourself. That's what I'm doing. You know, it's just a little sin. You know, I'm just I'm just going to go this far away from God. You know, I'll stay close, but I need to be over here right now. There's no such thing as a little sin. OK. And uh, finally, it affects everybody because Abraham's mouth is stopped. He cannot talk about god now he might as well be quiet and that involves his family it involves pharaoh it involves lot by the way which is very interesting lot is along for this right and he's watching this whole thing i wonder now you can't blame abraham for what lot did later but i don't i wonder if it didn't enter into his thinking later well i remember what abraham did you know look what he did so what i'm doing can't be all that bad the egyptians around everybody they saw this whole thing Okay, I'm sorry, we're not done with the consequences. Turn to chapter 20. This is Abraham a little later. Chapter 20, verse 1. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south, going south again. 
and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now, Abraham said of Sarah's wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Does that sound familiar? Whoa. Have you found that when you sin in an area, you only do it once? <laughs> no. You know, in fact, um, we, if, if we sin in, in a particular area, it seems to be easier the second time, you know. And so there's a lesson here. Confess it and forsake it, you know. The, what does it say in Hebrews? The sin that so easily besets us. We talk about besetting sins. Well, look, it's not a coincidence that God included these two passages in the Bible. And they're identical. If you read through this, it's deja vu. You want to make sure that you're not rereading the Egypt episode. When you read it, it's a different guy in a different place, but the same sin. And I'm again, look, I'm not getting on Abraham. I'm talking about me. <laughs> You'd think we'd learn the first time. By the way, people are always wondering, why are things sometimes two or three times in the Bible? That's why. You know? Hearing it once doesn't always uh, fix it. We need to hear things several times. Playing with sin is more serious than we think. And sometimes we begin to set a habit. And then it gets harder to break. Okay, uh, we're not done. Make another right turn to Genesis 26. <clears throat> it's interesting about Isaac. There's such a buildup for him in his birth, in the life of Abraham. You'd think there'd be a ton about him in the Bible. But there's very little really about Isaac in the Bible. In fact, if you take out this episode here, there's not much left in the Scripture. Even about the wife, it's not him. It's the servant that goes and gets the wife, you know? But there is this passage, and it's quite long. And it should sound vaguely familiar. This is Isaac now. This is not Abraham. Genesis 26. Verse uh, 6. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Ever heard of that place before? We just read it. And the men of the place asked about his wife. And he said, oh, she's my sister. For why? He was afraid to say she is my wife. Because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw. And there was Isaac, <clears throat> I like the phrase, showing endearment. They were probably kissing, you know. Showing endearment to Rebekah, <clears throat> his wife. It was obvious when Abimelech looked through the window and saw them together that she was not his sister. You don't kiss sisters that way. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, uh, because I said, lest I die on account of her. Does this sound familiar? And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. Okay. So is there a consequence there? like father like son it's interesting i've seen over the years if we have a hole in our bucket with god our children tend to have the same hole in their bucket it's interesting it's like we can teach and everything but that jesus said when a disciple is fully trained it'll be like his master and it's like that with kids worldly christians tend to raise worldly children 
gossiping, backbiting parents seem to produce children who gossip and backbite. Children of selfish, professing believers tend to be selfish themselves. And we could go on. This is the lesson God is showing us. It's no accident. God included out of all of Isaac's life. The guy lived a long time. This is the really the main thing he included about Isaac. He's teaching us something here. You know? Don't play around with sin. It has long-term consequences. You know, they talk about... Um, <clears throat> I work out at the lab and they talk about nuclear stuff out there. And uh, the big concern is, of course, whenever you have uh, nuclear products from anything, you can't just go out and throw them in the trash can. They're harmful for a long, 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 long time. And they've got all these elaborate schemes of drilling back in the mountains in Nevada, in the rock, you know, and stashing this stuff and putting up guards and gates and walls to keep people out for the next one million years. I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> it's bad stuff, okay? Some of these things have half, have half lives of a million years. Well, there's nothing worse than sin. Sin Sin has a very long half-life. That's what God is showing us here. It can, it can not only have long-term effects on our own lives, but in the lives of others, including our children. Okay. Do you think we can learn a lesson from this? This is where the preacher comes now and he says, now, in light of all this, what's the lesson? You know, which hand has the marble? It's not a small thing to break fellowship with God. Sin is a terrible thing and it has far-reaching effects. So, uh, lesson number one, it's better to remain under a trial with God than to seek escape without Him. Let me say that again. It's better to remain under a trial with God than to seek escape from it without Him. You, you agree with that? Amen. Second, it's better to stay in God's will and experience his comfort than to take control ourselves and begin a downward spiral of sin. And I'm speaking from experience too on top of what God's word is teaching us here. Better to stay in God's will and experience discomfort than to take control ourselves and begin that downward spiral of sin. Okay, I know it's been bleak up to this point. Now the good news. There's a good lesson to learn from all this. You might have even missed it when we read it. Look at chapter 13. <clears throat> verses 3 and 4, the last two verses we read. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lesson number two. We learn something about God here and as a result a promise to claim. When we stray, there's a way back to God. That's the lesson. And here for Abram, the place is called Bethel. And that's a wonderful name. You know what it means? House of God. The house of God. That's the place that Abram needs to go back to. Uh, it's interesting, it's called Bethel. It really doesn't get its name until later in the life of Jacob. Jacob called this place 
the house of God, where Abram first uh, built an altar to God and called on the name of the Lord. And I'm, I'm very leery when I jump ahead here in Genesis. I don't want to steal anybody's thunder. But let me just give you a couple of sentences on Jacob because there's a parallel here. Bethel plays the same part in the life of Jacob as it did, does here in the life of Abram. Remember, Jacob uh, deceived, uh, isn't it interesting? He deceived everybody, you know, particularly his father, in getting the birthright. He was afraid. <laughs> and so he went away to a far, far country. Is this sounding familiar? You know? Before he left, uh, the last place that he had contact with God in that land was, you know where? I think you know. Yeah, Bethel. That's right. It's where he went to sleep that night. God revealed himself to him. And he basically said, look, no matter what you do, wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. And then the next many chapters are full of Jacob and all his schemes and his conniving. In the middle of it all, Bethel is mentioned again. God cuts in in the midst of all of his wandering and he says, Jacob, I'm waiting for you. You need to go back to Bethel where I am. And finally, when Jacob has had enough and he goes back, with a short stop at Shechem and some, and some problems there. He finally goes to Bethel and calls on the name of the Lord again. And fellowship is restored. And you've got this huge parenthesis in the life of, life of Jacob in the Bible with Bethel at both ends. And in the middle, Jacob running the show. And it's no wonder later in the life of Jacob that when Pharaoh... It's very interesting how God gives us a little um, uh, insights into the most trivial conversations sometimes. Here's Jacob, the great patriarch, meeting Pharaoh one of the most powerful men in the world. And you know what Pharaoh says? How old are you, Jacob? Isn't that good? (laughs) I like that. How old are you, Jacob? You know what Jacob says? After he gives him the number, he says, my years have been few and evil. Isn't that sad? Jacob's just, he's being honest about his life. He said, my years have been few and evil. Because Jacob, he's a little more mature now in his faith and he realizes that core of his life, the prime of his life, was literally thrown away. And you've got this huge parenthesis between Bethel and Bethel that no doubt he wished he had back, but it's too late. And he looks back and he says, my years have been few and evil. Well, it's interesting to me that Bethel frames this experience of Abraham as well. If you notice back in chapter 12, uh, verse 8, it ends this way, <clears throat> talking about Abraham. says, he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called in the name of the Lord. And you got this intervening journey away from God. And then it finally picks up here in 13.4. Uh, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. It's deja vu. It, it, he just went back. And there are two important phrases here in 13. God doesn't include little things for nothing. Notice what he says. He says he went back where his tent had been at the beginning. And then later, uh, where he had made the altar at first. That's interesting. He's saying, Abraham, no matter how far you stray away, you've got to come back to where you left me. Go back where you were at first. So, in essence, the words are saying there, Abraham, it's back to square one. You know? But he's also saying, when you come back, it's complete restoration. He's also saying that. You know, we'll pick up where we left off. Isn't that good? 
you know, we can stray from God and we should be like the prodigal son and say, look, I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. And we'd be right. But God's not like that. Abram goes back. Obviously, he's confessing his sin. He's right with God again. And God just picks right up where they left off. You know, I think that's wonderful. There's a, a game <clears throat> guys play with the basketball. Maybe girls play it too. I don't know. How many have heard of around the world? Basketball. Yeah, see the guys? Any girls? Yeah, there we go. Okay, some girls have played around the world. It's a lot of fun. You get a lot of skill in just shooting. Um, real simple. You get the basketball and you start over here. Here's the basket right at the base. And you keep shooting. You take turns until you make that basket. And then when you move back a little further, then you try to make that one. And when you miss, your turn's over. And the idea is go all the way around the key. You go back to the top of the key and back around. And the first person to make that last shot wins. Well, one of the rules is, at least where I come from, uh, you can either take one shot, and if you miss, you just stay where you are. And if you've worked really hard to get yourself all the way back here, you know, you're glad about that. If you miss and went back, pretty soon you'd be back at the beginning. But you do. there's a rule, you can take an extra shot if you want. Right? Isn't that the way you guys play it? So I'm here, and I shoot, and, and I miss. I can take a chance and shoot again. And if I make it, I get to move up. But if I miss, I got to go backwards. Right? Now, where I come from, we, we uh, took it a step further. We got so tired of just having two shots. And so, you know, you've worked for 20 minutes, and here you are finally back at the top of the key, you know, the big shot, right? And you're tired of just getting two shots. And so you say, hey, let's add the rule. You can take a third shot. But if you miss that shot, you just don't go back one. You go all the way back to the beginning. In fact, some of the guys I played with, they said, you can take a fourth shot. If you miss that one, you know what happens? You're out of the game. That's right. You lose. You, you're, you go sit on the sidelines until the rest of the guys finish the game. Now, it could be like that with God, you know? He could have said to Abraham, oh, Abraham, man, you really blew it. You know, look, I showed you, you can trust me. What are you doing going down to Egypt and lying and doing all that bad stuff? So I'll tell you what, you're going to have to go uh, back to Haran. Learn a few lessons there before I let you back into the land again, you know, or go back to Ur. Go back there. You haven't learned enough yet. He could do that and he'd be right in doing it, right? Or he could say, you're out of the game, Abraham. Just head on back to Ur. I'll find somebody else. Huh? Couldn't he do that? Shouldn't he do that? Does he do that? No, he doesn't do that. He lets us come right back where we left him. And if we just confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's as if we never departed. And he picks right up where we left. Isn't that great? Here's here's another illustration. I know you're getting tired of illustrations, but here here's one. This is my walk with God, you know, and and we're in step with God, and and uh, we'd like it if He'd reveal the whole future to us, wouldn't we? Or would we? Maybe not, huh? But and so he it's one step at a time, you know. He shows us where to go, and and if we're in fellowship with Him, we're walking, staying close to God. Praise God, I'm in fellowship with the Lord. And then at some point, maybe a famine, you know, maybe a trial of some kind comes in. And we do this number. 
Now, he's back there waiting for me to go that way. You ever been there? I have. Okay. And the problem is we take that first step, but then we take another step. Now, God's back over here waiting for us at Bethel. And we're going this way. And I don't know if you're like me, but uh, we'll go down here and I'm getting about here and I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great if right now this was the will of God? You know, let's make this is the will of God. Praise God. I'm serving the Lord. You know, God's back there at Bethel. He's still waiting, patiently waiting. Okay, we can go an awful long way, huh? You know what? But it's not until I could go all the way down here. You know, what's the way back to God? Tell me. That's right. That's right. Got to go all the way back over here. Right here. Okay. And he, praise God, he's waiting for me with outstretched arms. You know that? You know how I know that? Because Jesus told me. Jesus tells the story of a guy named the prodigal son. And it's interesting. There are so many parallels with Abraham in that story. Because Jesus says, this prodigal son went away to a far country, left his father, took his inheritance, and basically slapped his father in the face and just went as far away as he could go. Now, Jesus tells us in advance that this story he's telling is about how God forgives us. So we don't have to speculate. That's what it's about. And uh, this son in the story that Jesus tells comes to himself. Interesting that he, he says to himself when he wakes up, finally, I'm not worthy to be called a son anymore. I'll be happy just to go back and be a servant. You know, anything's better than being away from my father like this. And here's the way Jesus says it. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. And had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Jesus is telling us that story because he wants us to understand the love of God for us. So every detail is important. And it's interesting to me, it doesn't, he doesn't just say the father was waiting. He was watching. And he saw him when he was a great way off. He was waiting eagerly. The next thing of interest, the father ran. That's not dignified for fathers, you know. Imagine Jesus talking about God the Father in, in, a, in the uh, form of this father running to meet a, a son that's treated him this way. That's not dignified. And then it says the father fell on his neck and kissed him. The son didn't deserve this. We know what he did. What would make a father behave that way? That's right. Jesus is telling us the only way a father would act that way, undignified, is because he loves the son so much. He doesn't care, you know, what others think of him or how he behaves. He's just so happy to have his son back. And Jesus continues to make us understand that there's no doubt of complete restoration because the son hasn't in his mind when he comes back, I'm going to be a servant now. Jesus says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. That's our father, brothers and sisters. I'm talking to believers here this morning. Now, you could be physically here this morning, but you could be spiritually far away. You don't have to go to Egypt to get away from God, do you? We can come here some morning, you know, all dressed nice and fine, have our nice dress on, our tie and so on, but we can be far from God and nobody knows it but you and God. Maybe you're like that this morning. Let me tell you, he's waiting. Now, the place he waits at is not Bethel. It's not the house of God. He's waiting at the cross. And he's waiting there. And he's looking. He's not just waiting. He's yearning. He's looking way down the road. He's waiting for you with those arms outstretched. We need just to come back and say, Father, forgive me. The neat thing is he won't send you away. He'll fall on you and kiss you and hug you and welcome you back as his child. Don't put it off. There's no obstacle, by the way. It's funny how we imagine the only obstacle is my pride. Okay, that not that silly? Think about it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your great, great love for us. Lord, we wonder that you continue to call us your children in light of so many things that we do. Lord, help us to stay close to home. Deliver us, Lord, from journeying in a far land away from you. Much better to stay close and learn through a trial than to run out from under it and leave you behind. Lord, if there's anyone here who is on a journey like that, who has stepped out of the will of God, who is away from God, oh, Lord, we pray that they might see there is absolutely nothing right now standing in the way to full and complete restoration apart from them turning around and running back to you. We pray they would do it this morning. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.